As you may remember, in January, Jacob announced that we were going to do a series through the Minor Prophets, where each of us cover different aspects of the same Minor Prophet in the attempt to further our understanding of these books that sometimes we don't think about enough, and to make them useful to our service to God. And that was January, and here we are in August, and this is our second one. We got a little distracted with other things, but here we are, and we're going to cover the book of Jonah today if you want to turn there. Now, Jonah is one of those books that we all know, at least we all know part of, to the extent that when I said we're covering Jonah today, there were probably some of you that said, Of all the minor prophets, we're really going to do Jonah again? And why is that? Because we, if you grew up, quote unquote, in the church, or if you grew up in any Christian group, you've probably, from the time you can remember, been hearing about the story of Jonah. You've had coloring sheets and pop-up books and songs and everything else. But I think that's why it makes this book so important to study. Because if I ask you, what do you know about the book of Jonah? The first thing that's going to come to everyone's mind is Jonah got eaten by a big fish. Or if you're reading the King James Version, Jonah got eaten by a whale. I'm not going to get into that debate today. But... If I ask you what the book is about, a lot less of us would have an answer. Because the book isn't about Jonah getting eaten by a big fish. That happens in the book, but it's not the point of the book. So today, we're going to go through the message of Jonah. We're going to read the whole book together. It doesn't take nearly as long as you would think it does. We're going to go through the whole book together, and we're going to say, what does the book of Jonah have to say to us? And to kind of give a little spoiler for what we're going to talk about today, when me and Mr. Jacob, we kind of talk through the book together, we came to the conclusion that there are two basic questions that the book of Jonah addresses. Two questions. Who is God? And sort of what is he about? And who are God's people? Those are the two main questions that the book of Jonah really serves to answer. And in the second session, Mr. Jacob's going to talk about who is God and how that, the book of Jonah's answer for who God is goes all the way through the Old Testament. And in this session, we're going to focus on what does the book of Jonah say about who God's people are. But before we get into the actual text, we'll talk a little bit about the few notes we know about the context of the book. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bore you with with dates and other things like that, mostly because 
I don't want to talk about dates, and if you're not familiar with the dates, they're not very helpful anyway. But we actually do know a little bit about Jonah from outside of this book, which is pretty unusual for a minor prophet. And uh, so 2 Kings 14 is where we read about Jonah, and we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But in 2 Kings 14, you read about a king named Jeroboam II, is what we normally call him. His name is Jeroboam. He's, the, he's named after the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel. And Jeroboam II is a really bad guy. I mean, he is, if you, ha- if you grew up with one of those timelines that has all the kings on the wall and some of them have smiley faces and some of them have frowny faces, Jeroboam II has a big old frowny face. He's not a good guy. But because of the mercy and love of God, God enabled Jeroboam and Israel to have a very prosperous time. They regained a whole bunch of the land that they had lost over the years, stretching the northern territory all the way back out to the place where it used to be when King Solomon reigned. So this is the most prosperous and the most successful that the northern kingdom ever was and ever had been. And in that passage about Jeroboam, we see in 2 Kings 14, 25, that all of that positive restoration was done according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So Jonah, what we know about him from outside his book is that he was an Israelite prophet sent during this time of prosperity and success in the northern kingdom. And that's really all we know, but it does tell us a lot. For one, you can say that Jonah is a politically connected prophet. He was affiliated with the king of Israel, seemed to be in close ties with him. The other thing that you can probably say is that he would have been well-respected by the nobility of Israel. You can't say that for sure, but it is likely that since his message was a positive message of go team Israel, that he would have been well liked by the nobility of Israel. And that's really all we know for sure. And I don't know that that for sure impacts the way that we should read the text in Jonah. But I will say, I do think it's interesting to note that at least everything we have recorded outside from 2 Kings 14 Jonah's message was a positive message of success and riches and all kinds of good stuff given to God's people. And then the message of the book of Jonah is about as far away from that as you can get. Because this isn't a message of riches and success. This is a message of sin and destruction and punishment. 
And it's not a message to God's people. It's a message to the enemies of God's people, the Ninevites, one of the worst, awful, most cruel groups of people you could possibly think of. So if you think on the sort of prophetic scale, the message that Jonah gives in 2 Kings 14 and the message that Jonah is to give in the book of Jonah are about as far away from each other as you can possibly get. It's very different than his day job. Okay, so we're going to read the book of Jonah together. And like I said, we are going to read... The whole thing, it doesn't take very long if I don't interrupt it too much. I'll try to take my own advice and talk a little bit less today. But um, as we read through this book, I want you to be thinking about those two questions that we talked about earlier. What does the book of Jonah have to say about who God is? What God values, what his character is. What does the book of Jonah have to say about that? And the other question is, what does the book of Jonah have to say about who God's people are? So if you want to start with me, we're going to start all the way at the beginning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But... The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each called out to his own God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, 
let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, for salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going about a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he proclaimed, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish." And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. So that's the entire book. And it's got a lot in there. It's, Jonah is a lot more complex of a book than I think we often give it credit for. But for the purpose of this lesson, we are going to focus on the question, who are God's people in the book of Jonah? And at the outset of the book, who would you expect to be God's people in this book? I think the natural choice would be Jonah. Jonah is an Israelite, a member of God's people, and Jonah is God's prophet. He has that personal sort of relationship with God. So that seems like an open and shut case. Jonah is God's people in this book. But he can't be because he doesn't actually do any of what God says. From the very beginning of the book, we see God give Jonah a simple command. Arise and go to Nineveh and preach what I tell you to. And Jonah goes as far the other way as he can possibly go. I don't know if it's because he's too scared to fulfill the word of God, because the Ninevites were known to be a cruel and awful and evil people, just about the apex of what it means to be wicked. I lean more towards Jonah was hateful. The Ninevites were the enemies of God's people, and after all, they stood to represent everything about human wickedness and pride. They were as far as enemies could get to God's people, the opposite of what God's people were supposed to be. I think Jonah couldn't stand Ninevites and didn't think that they deserved the love and compassion of God. Whatever the reason, he tries to run away. And the storm comes. And sometimes, I feel like I've been in classes before that have talked about how uh, 
how almost brave and heroic it was of Jonah to tell the sailors, it's me, I'm the cause of this, throw me overboard. Which one, he didn't, they cast lots. But two, don't you think that so much of that part of the story could be avoided if Jonah would have, say, repented while he was on the boat? I don't think that Jonah is being heroic at all by saying, throw me into the sea. I think Jonah is saying, I would rather die in the chaotic sea than have to do what God said I had to do. Jonah would rather just be done with it all than have to obey God. And so he gets thrown into the sea, and some point in the, the, uh, the time that he's drowning, he does decide to repent. And so maybe we can say, okay, Jonah learned his lesson in the sea and the fish, and then after that, he was definitely God's people. And it looks like it for a second, because he goes to Nineveh like he's told to, and he preaches the word that God tells him to preach, but he still can't be God's people. Because remember afterward, he is stomping mad. He said, God, this is why I didn't want to go. I knew that you were too loving, too forgiving, too merciful, and you're going to let these evil, awful people off the hook. This is why I didn't want to do this from the beginning. Jonah's saying, God, don't don't you realize these people deserve what's coming to them? Jonah has put himself as judge and jury, and if he could, executioner. He said, these people deserve the punishment coming to them. And God says, do you do right to be angry? And I find Jonah's response really interesting because Jonah knows God's not going to destroy the city because he said so. But then what does Jonah do after this question from God? He goes off to a lookout point so he can watch the destruction of the city. And that's a tough, why why does Jonah do that when just five seconds ago he knew that God wasn't going to destroy the city? And I think Jonah is so sure that he's right about what Nineveh deserves. That when he's angry at God and saying, God, I told you I didn't want to do this because you were going to forgive them and they were going to get off the hook. And God says, are you right to be angry? I think Jonah says, oh, God has something planned that I don't know about. Maybe God really is going to punish the Ninevites. Maybe I don't deserve to be angry because God's really going to take care of this. Because Jonah seems to change his mind, going from just a verse before saying, God's not going to destroy the city. He's too nice. He's too loving. He's too merciful. To staking out a lookout spot and waiting for the destruction of the city. But of course that destruction never comes. And then he's angry enough again to die. And God says, you're angry about a plant. You're angry because you're uncomfortable. You're angry because I won't destroy this entire group of people. 
you're so angry about a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter and inconvenienced you, yet you have absolutely no love and no mercy for 120,000 people that don't know any better or for the earth around them. You've completely missed the point of how my love works. Jonah is not the good guy in this story. There is no redemption arc. We never really see Jonah repent. Maybe he does at the end of the story and we don't see it. But Jonah never really learns anything. At the beginning of the book, he is a hateful person who doesn't want to do God's will. And at the end of the book, he is a hateful person who begrudgingly did God's will so that he didn't have to die. He is malicious and he is angry at the very love of God. Jonah, the Israelite, the very prophet of God, is not among God's people in this book. And so the question is, who then are the people of God? And the answer is basically everyone in the book besides Jonah. For starters, the pagan sailors. And we kind of have this stereotypical idea of sailors being like, oh, they're like the worst that the world has to offer. That's not a new idea. That was the same sort of idea that people had in the ancient world about sailors. So the pagan sailors, when you're flipping through the book and you see, oh, so we've got pagans and their sailors. These guys are bad news. You would think, okay, they're definitely not going to be among God's people. They are irredeemable. And maybe at the beginning, you feel like you've got that confirmed a little bit. Because when the storm comes, they're each praying to their own gods. Like the Ninevites, they don't know any better. But as Jonah tells them of the God of Israel, the very God who made the sea and the land they come to a greater understanding and a fear of the God of Israel. The other thing that I think we don't talk about with the sailors is the compassion that they show Jonah. Jonah tells them, look, throw me over. That's the only way that we're going to fix this. And they try to avoid that. They try to steer the boat back to land, even though they know that Jonah says the only thing that's going to fix this is throwing me over. They show compassion to Jonah, the very compassion that he wouldn't have shown anyone else, especially the Ninevites. And ultimately, when they do throw Jonah over, they pray to God asking to be forgiven. And afterwards, when the sea calms down, they make sacrifices and vows to God. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. And after they hurled Jonah into the sea, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors realize the power of God and they humble themselves and they choose to follow him. 
before Jonah, an Israelite, the prophet of God, does. The other group that are the people of God in this story are the worst of the worst. The cruel, the violent, the oppressive, the enemies of God's people, the Ninevites. Because Jonah comes into the city and he says, hey, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And immediately, without any reservations whatsoever, they humble themselves and repent. From the greatest of them to the king, who would have been one of the most powerful people in the entire world, all the way down to, comedically, the animals. Because the king says, put sackcloth on the animals, they can't eat anything either. They're fasting too. How the most powerful, the most cruel, the most evil people in the world, all the way down to their donkeys, repented before Jonah repented. The point of the book of Jonah is God's people aren't the people who say they're God's people. It's not good enough to say I'm an Israelite. It's not good enough to say I'm a prophet. It's not good enough to say I'm a Christian. That doesn't get you anywhere with God. The only people who are God's people in the book of Jonah are those who humble themselves and repent and those who show others the love that God has shown to them. Those are the requirements in the book of Jonah to be God's people. And that's what the book's really about. God's people aren't who you think they are. You can sit in a church building your whole life and not be God's people. The requirements are, do you love others the way God loves you? And are you willing to humble yourself and repent and follow him? And if you've got those two things, you're God's people. And if either one of those things are missing, you're not. And that's really the point of the book of Jonah. It's a lot more than a big fish story. So we are going to pray and be dismissed to our classes. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to come before you in service to you and to others. Help us to come before you in prayer and fasting and the same love that you've shown to us. Thank you for your compassion and your steadfast love that you've shown not just to us, but to all mankind. And help us not to forsake that love, but to live in it by obeying all the commandments that you've set before us and showing others love the same way that you've shown it to us. Please help us not to view ourselves as more worthy of your love than the others around us, but to instead proclaim your love to all by the way we live and serve. Help us not to be children, your children in name only, but in all aspects of our life. We pray this through your son, the perfect proof of your perfect love. Amen.